love has done its part. Now let him reign in my life and my heart. If love has done its part. Now let him reign in my life and my heart. If love has done its part. Now let him reign in my life and my heart. Welcome to Healing Hidden Wounds Radio, sponsored by Shadow of His Wings Ministry. We're glad you're listening in today. We will be interviewing David, a rabbi and a client of mine who is on his own journey of healing same-sex attraction. We'll be answering the tough questions that arise along the way, as well as offering advice and suggestions in your own healing journey. Again, thanks for listening in, and if you have interest in getting more information, you can go to our website at www.shadowofhiswingsministry.com. Well, hello, Lee. It's an honor to have you here with me again. Uh, you've been a both a mentor, an inspiration, a friend, and have transformed my life quite a bit over the past uh, five, six years. And um, as I know, you've done for many other people as well. And in this journey of uh, growth and healing, I've been exploring different topics of masculinity. Um, on my most recent podcast, I was speaking with an author named Doug Carpenter, and it led to the conversation about trauma, sexual trauma, and how that can lead in for many people into same-sex attraction. So for today's uh, topic, I wanted to talk with you, as I know that uh, this is an area that you have focused a lot with uh, many of your, uh, your clients and in your own journey. And I'll, you know, I'll let you talk a little bit about the work you do. Both struggle with same-sex attraction, some who have children who struggle with same-sex attraction, kind of making peace with the struggle and, the ch- and, and overcoming the struggle and growing from it. So there's quite a bit of uh, areas that we can tackle on this. But uh, for starters, let me welcome you and uh, invite you to share a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about the work you do as well. Well, thank you, David. It's good to be here, and it is a it's a blessing to get to walk with you in your own journey, and to see how how healing is absolutely possible. Possible. I want to make sure people understand right off the bat that this is not a place of desperate struggle. It can actually be a place of healing and overcoming. So I just want to start off with saying that, and I've watched that happen in your life and as well as my own. I came out of SSA, same-sex attraction, and have found great healing. Uh, I know in my own life, I saw many of the variables we'll probably talk about today, but uh, most of them have to do with just an immature, uh, an immature growth in our own masculinity, usually caused either by sexual trauma or by perhaps a mother wound or a father wound that prevents this little boy from growing into the man he's meant to be uh, as he gets overly attracted to men because they carry those things he thinks he doesn't have. But that's kind of a bit of a of an intro, we do work with folks um, all over the world, uh, working with specifically and mostly men. I mean, we do work with some women as well, but mostly men who struggle 
to overcome what they would call as either gay or same-sex attraction, whatever they walk in the door with, we try to help at least start to address some of the hurts that might have created their struggle in the first place. So that's a lot of the work we do. And I know you do good work, as I've heard from others that have uh, participated in uh, in counseling with you. And uh, not to overwhelm you, but I do encourage people to reach out to Lee as uh, Lee is, in my opinion, one of the experts in this field, really can help you in your journey. You, you mentioned in, your, uh, in what, you were mentioned, what you were saying before that many people have father wounds, mother wounds, or sexual trauma that leads them to this. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yes. I, and I just want to say this as I get started, is most people come to me saying, I've looked, there's not a thing wrong with my past. I don't think anything's happened to me. I just am attracted to men. And I would say, as we get to looking and to scratching deeper than just the surface, we began to see that there's usually always some sort of issue, trauma, broken place that's created this. That's sometimes hard for people to believe because they look back themselves and they can't see anything. They, they think mom and dad were great. I was raised in a great home and I had great school experiences, but usually I haven't had a situation yet where we haven't found at least a key broken spot that created the beginnings of same-sex attraction. So I think it has a lot to do. That's why I don't believe that it's something that we're born with. I believe that is something that certainly feels easier to accept. And I, I know that's a perhaps a, a difficult phrase to use many years ago, but I think in today's world, it's becoming much more acceptable to say, hey, I'm gay, this is who I am. But we do have to, at some point, come to the conclusion either that somehow I'm born this way and I don't want to be, or maybe there's some brokenness here that I haven't really found. And I think the latter helps a person begin to understand exactly what they're struggling with and what might actually be the case. Because if you come to the conclusion that you're born that way, there's really no hope there. There's just, oh, well, this is what I am. And I'm going to have to fight, either fight through this for the rest of my days, or I'm going to have to accept it. Whereas I think what I've found is the truth is, is usually there's a place of healing that can occur that creates a much a much greater place for recovery and overcoming and changing desires. So I think that's where I would start. I think the next place I would go is, yes, I think certainly sexual abuse is one of the biggies. And that's, I'm starting there because that's usually the one that, that most people say, well, I've never been sexually abused, but I think it's important to do what I call a sexual history timeline to look at exactly where our sexual history began, what were the first moments when we started realizing we were sexual, and it doesn't immediately go to porn and masturbation. It just starts with, when did this little boy realize he could feel sexual? And when does he realize what he can do with his own sexuality? And, and does he experience that with other boys? Does he experience it with adults? You know, all of that can be definitely traumatizing, hurtful, and certainly can create wounds. So those wounds then grow. 
Now, for those people who say, oh, I've never had that issue. I've never had any kind of abuse. Like I said, I'd want to look at their sexual history because sometimes we don't look at two little boys getting on top of each other and rubbing their peepees together as abuse, but it, it can be certainly hurtful. So we have to look at where all of this began. Certainly if cousins, brothers, uncles, whatever, did things that were sexual, we have to look at that. Sometimes families aren't great at the ones defining sexual trauma because it may be normal in a particular family for, you know, cousin Joey, who's, you know, 15 to take a bath with little, you know, cousin, you know, Joey and the other one, whoever his name is, is, is we're in the bathtub together. And all of a sudden he starts touching someone. It's like, well, this is just playing doctor is what our world says today. But you have to look at those things and go, okay, just because someone labeled it as playing doctor doesn't mean that that little boy walked out of the bathtub not being changed somehow. You know, th those situations, <clears throat> I, I think of them as, as I may not consider it abuse, but, you know, as uh, one of my rabbis once said, he said, you become a sexual being at an earlier age than you normally would become a sexual being. And you don't realize it even. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's a huge piece of it. Yes. And certainly if you're six and he's 13 and you look back on that experience, you may not have felt sexual, but when someone rubs your penis, it's going to feel, you're going to feel something, whether, because there's nerve endings, there's arousal mechanisms there. So Certainly, you might feel something. Certainly, it might expose you to something later that you begin to realize, okay, I felt extra close to this cousin, or it felt really good, especially if I come from a family where there's a lot of what I would call dry and dusty behaviors, where we don't get very close, and we do a lot of yes sirs and no ma'ams, and and our home is, we live in more of a museum than a loving, warm, connecting home, then it may feel great to have Cousin Joey touch my PP. You know, it's trying to look at those things and realizing just because I can't see a connection doesn't mean there's no connection. The mother and father wound are the next two that I would talk about, which is when you have a mother wound, which could be a very overly connected, overly involved mother that almost can feel great in childhood. But as the boy grows up, it feels very smothering and very um, almost abrasive, like I just want to get away from her somehow. Uh, a lot of folks in same-sex attraction, the, the male child gets way overconnected with mom. My mom's my best friend. My mom, I'll do, I do everything with her. I share everything with her. She's my greatest support, my greatest confidant. Well, that's not supposed to happen after a certain age. There's a certain age where a little boy is supposed to pull away from his mom and begin to connect with his father with more masculine things. But in that brokenness, if the father wound is not is, is present, then you'll find a father who is already disconnected and the little boy can't find him. Either he's abusive, overly angry, overly 
dict dictatorial. You know, he runs a little dictatorship in his home where the boy doesn't feel safe to talk to dad. So he runs to mom and mom sees this and brings him very quickly into her. And so he doesn't identify with those things masculine. He identifies with those things feminine and that part of him never matures. So he doesn't feel acceptable in the male world. He begins to actually feel very isolated in the male world. So you, you once told me, and I think that this uh, really uh, connects with what you're saying, a man naturally craves what he doesn't have as a woman naturally craves what she doesn't have. A human, I guess, naturally craves what they don't have. And when you feel secured in your masculinity, you will chase femininity. And so if you were raised with a healthy masculinity, healthy identity of who I am, and you, you don't need to go check out your own penis because you're, you're fine with what you got. And you're fine with your friends because you're comfortable with that. You know, you, you always gave the example of, you know, you're going to you know, put your hand over your friend's shoulder and walk down, you know, from the sports team, whatever, you're just going to do your thing. So you're comfortable with who you are, but what don't you have is femininity. And so therefore, naturally, you're going to begin to chase that. And you had said almost the same thing in the reverse. When you don't have security in your masculinity, oftentimes these men are totally comfortable amongst the girls. And so they're going to say, well, I'm, I'm comfortable with femininity, even though they're not getting the true femininity, they're getting a passive femininity, but let me go seek out masculinity. And, that, and that's where I begin to uh, uh, seek it out from other men. Absolutely, David. I think what's so important there is realizing that if we don't understand the mystery of our own sex, we will try to find the mystery of the male in ways that help us feel affirmed. And if we've already solved the mystery of the female by getting overly attached to mom, overly attached to sisters, overly attached to female friends, then the pursuit of women will feel like kissing your sister. It's like, this doesn't feel right. I don't feel drawn to want to go find the mystery of the female because I've already hung out with them as a female, so to speak. The mystery of the male is the place where we head off to and go, wow, I wanna know what it feels like to be one of the guys. And I wanna know what it feels like to be comfortable hanging out with guys, wrestling with guys, feeling close to guys but I'm not familiar with that. My dad and I never joined there. My brothers and I never joined there, whatever the case is. And that's where this begins. And it, it's going to feel good. <laughs> it's going to feel good to find illegitimate sexual ways to, uh, to, to meet up with other males because it's finally, Oh, I get a way to, to be connected there. I finally get to see masculinity. I see their bodies. I see their sexuality. Uh, I want to do more of that versus the reality is it's not real. It's only real as it begins to progress more to the sexual, which then says, oh, now I'm gay. So now I can have sex with men all the time if I want, but it's not real relationship. It's very sexual, very connected sexually. It's just not the same. And so, so maybe you can expand on that because one of the things I know from the beginning of my journey, and I hear this from a lot of guys who are just beginning to explore their own 
struggle with same-sex attraction that oftentimes they say, you know, kind of like what you said earlier is that maybe this is just who I am. Maybe God created me this way. I hear that Lee says it's a father wound, a mother wound, sexual trauma. Maybe that's even true, but this is what I like. So what's wrong with that? What's wrong with, if I, if I enjoy sleeping with other men, what's wrong with that? Is, you know, is there, is there something inherently wrong with it um, that a person should try and address it? Well, I think that's going to be a different answer for different people. I think if you do not have a foundational um, understanding of the God that created you, then you're going to say, well, if he made me gay, then there isn't anything wrong with it. But as I understand his word to us, whether it's through the Christian world and the Bible or through the Jewish world or through the Torah, we find that, that sexuality, man lying with another man, is not God's best. And so there's the, the, the struggle is you have to figure out in your own journey what you believe is the truth there, because I personally, I was in the gay world for a couple of years. I found a guy. I thought this is going to be great. I got married. I didn't get married. I thought about getting married. Um, and I met God again. I mean, I had known him since I was a child and I knew him and I knew it that I, he had always told me that this wasn't for you. It's not what I want for you. But I got mad and said, I can't believe this isn't for me because my goodness, it's all I feel. So I'm going to go do what I want. And he met me again in that process and said, remember, I'm just telling you, this is not my best for you. So do you want my best or do you want second best? And depending on what you believe, you'll find different consequences for choosing best or second best. But in my world, I knew what a sin was, which is a sin is something against God, which I did not want to do. But I was pretty angry at him at this point and said, well, I can't help it that I still feel this way. So I'm going for it. And found nothing actually wrong with it. I mean, the guy I was with was a great guy, although he cheated on me most of the time we were together, because that's generally what happens in the gay community. His fidelity is not a great, you know, it's not one of the standards that most follow. I'm not, don't anybody get mad at me. I'm not saying there's not fidelity in some relationships. I'm just saying that's what happens most of the time. And that they've they've made it okay to have open relationships too. Yes. And so don't want to hear a lot of arguments about that. I can only tell you my experience. And every gay couple that we knew had an open marriage or an open relationship where they could have other people brought into their relationship. So all I know is ultimately I look at the process of, okay, I have to decide what I believe God is telling me and what I believe is the truth, which is if it's not his best, if it's a sin and, and I believe that, then I think there's inherently for some, they would say there's nothing wrong with it. 
But I always felt the tug in my heart that this wasn't for me. And so I felt like it was, it, it was absolutely necessary for me to follow that place. So I, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to what okay. you said, um, specifically because of my own journey. When I began my journey, I attempted to address it from the place where you were talking about, about God's best. Um, and while I believed in God, I struggled with the Torah. Um, and I struggled, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, but it, you know, in the Christian world, I'm sure many people struggle with the Bible and say, well, you know, maybe this is true. Maybe this is not, who knows. And, and I knew for myself that I had to find my, I, something intuitively told me that living a gay life was not correct for me, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I had the same question that I asked you before, which was, why can't I just live this life and make peace with it? Uh, especially at the time I had a friend who had uh, come out and was married or is now married and has adopted a child and looks like he's living a very happy life. And, and I needed to, but I knew it wasn't right for me, but I couldn't put my finger on why. And one of the things through my discussions with you that came out as well was, and, and I, I kind of feel like for me, it had to go step one, addressing it from a logical standpoint, step two, addressing it from a godly standpoint. Um, and, and perhaps and somebody once mentioned to me, you know, I said, I said, why didn't I find this from my, all my Jewish teachers? And, and did I end up finding it from a, a, a Christian mentor? Um, what, you know, wouldn't you have found it in the Jew? And he said, you probably had written off all your Jewish teachers by that point. Um, and a Christian mentor is not what you had expected to be speaking to. Um, but, but for me, I found the resolution in, in one of the things that you had told me, I mean, many of the things you had told me, but in one of the pieces you had said is that in, and, and again, this is not across the board in heterosexual relationships, and it's not across the board in gay relationships, but in general, uh, the, in a gay relationship, it's about what can I get from this relationship? Um, what, you know, what can I take? not necessarily what can I give or, or how can I invest? That's why, you know, oftentimes you'll find the age gaps between, uh, you know, people in a gay relationship. You may have a 30-year-old with a 65-year-old. And, you know, why is a 30-year-old going to a 65-year-old? Because he's looking for somebody to heal his father wound. And this guy can be his father. So what he's doing is he's taking from this guy to be his father. And right. oftentimes vice versa, I don't have much experience in the reverse, but, you know, oftentimes vice versa is here's this guy's opportunity to reparent himself through this child. Right. And, um, or, and, 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 and yes, not all gay relationships are age difference, but it's about what can I get? How can you feel that filled that void in me? And in, a, and in a relationship, it's not about filling the void in you. It's about at least for, from a, from a, the man's standpoint, how can I give to you? And this, and thus I am comforted, but it's through my giving that I'm comforted, not through my taking that I'm comforted. Um, and I, and, and for me, that was step one in, in, in my addressing it. And then step two was saying, and you know what, even God supports what, you know, this, this logic for many people, you, you, I mean, for most people, you want to put God first, but for people who have a God wound, which is oftentimes a father wound, uh, that's, a, that's an important piece, uh, uh, piece to factor in as well. 
Absolutely. And I think, I, I mean, I, I just want to say, I love the way you put that, because basically what that's saying is, is do I want my relationship to flow and to flourish out of my healthiness or out of my broken places? And so this, this discussion today really is probably not for that guy who says, I'm perfectly happy where I am at. I have a great husband or a great boyfriend or whatever I'm in. And, and I've never even once thought about changing it. It's really for that guy who kind of has always felt there's something in here that says this isn't quite right for me. And I want something healthier. And I want something that runs out of my healthiness, my wholeness, not out of my lack. And so, you know, whether you know, someone's listening and, and believes in God and says that that place has always been, I know that God is not, a, uh, is, this is not a place that he is pleased with, or whether it's a place where I don't even know God, but I just know there's something in me that says, this is not the right place for me. That's the guy that we're just talking with today is if you're getting discouraged feeling, I feel this way, but I don't know, no one can tell me how to get healing here there's hope and there's healing in those places where you're wounded and that's the place to start so, so that so that's a great uh, place to dovetail into my next question which is can one truly heal from an attraction to men um, and and you know and I know that uh, healing and recovery is a major battle. Um, and it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of work, you know, for many, it's hours of therapy for many, it's, it's, it's years of history that they're working through and digging through to try and, you know, release the, the, the discomfort and the, and the, and the, uh, and the broken attractions. So can one truly ever heal? Yes, I believe that we can, I think. What you said is true. And just to repeat what you said is it takes work. It is not for the faint at heart. Uh, it's most folks who struggle in this area have found pornography and or attractions to other boys at a very early age. So most of their objects of desire, most of the things that they've already begun looking at started at a very early age, whether it was through sexual abuse, trauma, or whether it was through finding pornography, whether it was starting to feel that weird feeling about why am I specifically attracted to that boy in gym class, or why am I attracted to him? And I start looking, trying to figure out, catching glimpses of his nakedness, that usually starts very early. And then we don't realize we even want to start working at trying to figure out what's going on here until we're well past puberty, maybe in our teens, late teens, early 20s, sometimes not even then. So a lot of the hurt has already cemented into place a lot of the attractions by the time we even are aware what's going on. And so some people go, well, I've felt this way since I was a little bitty kid. And it's like, well, 
maybe you have, maybe you acted on it. Maybe the emptiness, the missing pieces were already missing when you were a child. Maybe you already felt distance between you and your father. Maybe you already felt a bit like, why does my daddy not want to hold me? But my mommy does all the time. You know, it's like whatever happened, the wounds are, are pretty deep, you know? And this is the only place that I can find where we've determined that it's an identity. You know, we don't, we don't have many other places where we call someone by the name of our, our struggle. You know, so here our whole world has said, oh, this is not a, this is your struggle. Oh, it's not a struggle. You are quote gay, end quote. So then, okay, now do I worry about it? Do I not worry about it? Why do I still feel awkward? You know, why do I sometimes feel, you know, I've heard just about every guy I've ever worked with has said, if I get into a group of other guys, I seem to shrink down emotionally. I feel smaller than them. I feel less adequate. I feel more incapable. You know, I used to liken it to, it seems like when I would get in a group of men that I would. I could almost see this vision of myself standing in my daddy's suit with my arms flapping because my, my sleeves were too long and my pants were too long and my shoes were too big because I didn't feel adequate there. So what do you have to do? You have to look at your own inadequacies, which guess what? I've done counseling in, all, in a lot of the other areas as well. Nobody likes to look at their inadequacies. Most everyone wants to go, oh, teach me how to be better at coping or do more self-care. I mean, when you start saying, oh, you are inadequate here, nobody really loves to hear that. But we all are. We all have our weaknesses. And most of the time when those are created, we don't want to look at them until they're so deeply ingrained that it takes a while to heal your wounds. It takes a while to heal your wounds. It takes a while to heal your perceptions of yourself. I don't know how many times I've said it myself and I've heard it, but well, this is just the way I am. You have to give up that statement and realize this is not the way I want to be, even though it might be the way I am. And begin to look at those places. Why am I attracted to certain types of men? Why am I attracted to certain body parts, body issues? Why am I, why do I like men to look like this and not that? And, you know, who am I when I stand in the mirror? Do I like what I see? Because those are all things you have to work on. And those things take time. That's why it takes a while to heal, but you can heal. So, so are you saying that the process of healing is always going back to understand where your wound came from and making peace with the wound or ex not necessarily making peace, but accepting that you have this wound. And then, you know, there's a lot of times people talk in therapy about reparenting yourself and, and relearning how to live life, not as if the wound didn't happen, but regardless of the wound that has happened. Yes, and addressing the wound now that you're adult, you're an adult that has adult capabilities and trying to help 
the child inside of you to understand your adult perspectives. And yes, I get it. You weren't acceptable. Your daddy didn't see you as acceptable. He didn't address you as capable. You felt inadequate around other boys. Whatever it was, helping the child interpretation of a wound become integrated with an adult's capability of grieving the wound and realizing, okay, I'm attracted to muscular men with a strong jaw because I used to think that equated confidence and I don't have confidence. I don't see myself as the boy that has confidence. I see the kid over there who seems to be the life of the party, who has sex, I mean, has uh, athletic prowess in all the ways that I would like to have it or seems to be popular with the girls. I don't have that, but I begin to envy that. And so I want that. When I look at myself, I'm inadequate. I'm geeky. I'm gawky. I can't really do it correctly. Whatever the words are beginning to realize, okay, so I'm attracted to that parts of that kid that I don't believe that I ever have or had. And now I got to help me heal. And, 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 and healing uh, looks like being at peace with who you are. You know, a lot of guys struggle with their, you know, one of the things, I guess the area that I would say that I found in the coaching that I've done with men is that oftentimes the people who have the hardest time moving forward are the ones who feel that they don't measure up to society's image of what masculinity is. And, and you know, I spoke about this a little bit, um, you know, uh, uh, on a, one of the previous uh, uh, podcasts that I did, is that oftentimes they look at themselves and they say, well, I'm not the the muscular guy with the hairy chest. And I'm not the guy which, uh, you know, is good at sports. I'm more sensitive. I'm more soft and that's more feminine. And so I'm never going to heal because I'm never going to be that guy. But is, is the approach. And I, I mean, I get, I, I guess I'm talking to myself as well and saying that I believe that the approach is to realize that God created you the way you are. And you may have what society calls feminine uh, pers uh, personality. You may be more sensitive and that's wonderful because you're able to feel other people's pain. You're able to, you know, experience things in a different way. And on some level, screw society, who cares? You are you and you are just as masculine as the muscular guy, um, you know, the, the, the guy who's the, uh, the jock at the sports and all that. You know, you're just as masculine as he is. And, and perhaps even more than that, you have the, you have something that these other people don't have. And that's, and that's the fact is that you have the ability to be you pretty, but when you get to know these other people, you find out that they have the same insecurities just as much. I was speaking to somebody last week who in my world, this guy has it all worked out financially successful, has, you know, has everything he needs, has a, a successful business. And he said to me in confidence that, you know, he's struggling, uh, not with same-sex attraction, but he's struggling with, um, with his childhood traumas and his need to work 
is to work, 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 work so that he doesn't feel his pain. Absolutely. So he comes, he comes across like this guy who's got it all, but he's only doing that so that he doesn't feel his pain. And, you know, and, and once he uh, begins addressing it, I realize, and I say, wow, he may have it all, but that's for him. That's not, you know, God didn't design that having that all for me. And, and, and it's changed the way I operate in, in, uh, in my, um, in the, in the work that I do is that the society that I was raised in kind of gave me the impression that I needed to work, work, work and have uh, dozens of people at all my events and, you know, raise tons and tons of money. And, and I realized that that's not what God wants from me. Maybe he wants that from somebody else. That's not even my business to evaluate. What he wants from me is to be me. And once I'm me, then I can say, wait, I'm happy with me as a man. Well, now let me go find out what I don't have, which is true femininity, uh, which I used to think I had femininity, but it wasn't true femininity. It was a, a broken masculinity. And I think that is also true. I think, I think what you're saying is answering the question of how do I heal, which is actually coming to the point where you agree to accept yourself the way you are. Most healing comes when we stop comparing ourselves to the guy over there who we think is muscular, hairy, has whatever we think we don't have and realizing I got just, I, I'm, I'm a normal guy. I may not look like anybody. I may not look like everyone else. I may not look the way I want to, but what happens when I come to the place of realizing, no, I may not look like him. I need to stop looking over the fence to look at him and realize that I am who I am. There's the healing place. When we get there, it takes a while to get there. I don't want anybody to think, oh, wow, that's so easy. They're talking like that's an easy journey. It's not because we've spent a lot of time trying to look over the fence and go, well, why did he look like that? And why can't I look like that? And then there's pornography that gets in the picture and we start looking at people who we think we wish we were like. And all of that creates this very broken place. When all that gets stripped away and you finally just come back to yourself and say, you know, I am made the way I was made. And can I just be content with who I am? Exactly. And quit looking over my shoulder, wishing that I were somebody else. Then most of the identity issues start to heal. Absolutely. And I, and I can say that with absolute certainty in my life is being raised in a large Jewish family, there was a lot of comparison within my family alone before I even looked beyond my family. And, and had I, because of my father wounds, I was unable to truly embrace myself. And had I been able to say, hey, I'm me, I would have been a lot better off a lot earlier. And, you know, but, but, but at this stage in the game, I realized there's nobody else I want to be but me. And even, and even now, and, you know, and I think this is important, you know, you said it takes a while, uh, this, this journey of healing. And, you know, I don't know, I'm not finished my journey. Um, I'm going to continuous, uh, continuously grow in my journey. Um, but where I am today compared to where I was, you know, 
six years ago, I'm a different person and I'm going to continue growing and transforming and continuously become a different person again. Um, you know, and hopefully in six years from now, I'll be a totally different person, continuously growing and continuously different. Um, but you know, one of the, was that, I just want to say that is so important as I'm thinking about people I've worked with who've said, I just don't think I can do a partial change. I want to, I want to change now. I want to have attractions to women now. I want to be able to get married now. You got to help me now to figure out how I can be there. And I just want to say to that person who feels hopeless there that, that that may not ever be the process of change. The process of change sometimes takes the long journey and you may have some moments where you get there and then you fall back a bit and then you get further and then you fall back a bit. And then you, you have to take the risk of the faithful risk of saying, hey, I'm gonna go at least start pursuing and figuring out why don't I have attractions to females? And, and how do I pursue a female even though I don't feel ready yet? Because we're never gonna be ready. It's scary to be ready but you have to sometimes take those moments and go, okay, I'm going to go at least see what is holding me back. Because if you're insecure about yourself, you're generally insecure about a woman finding you sexually attractive as well. So that's not going to come overnight. So all those things take a journey. And like you said, you're not the person you were six years ago. You won't be the same person six years from now. And that's, that's my recovery as well. Is that's what I believe God says is quit looking at the, the step in front of you and keep looking down the road and realizing I'm going to get there. Just I may not know what exactly it's going to look like. The, the, the image that comes to me all the time when I think about that is, is almost like physical therapy. You know, you may have had it, you've been in a major car accident and it's going to take a while. You know, sometimes people go to physical therapy for years um, and sometimes people have chronic pain afterwards, but they're able to use their legs. They're able to walk. They're able to, you know, do different things. Um, sometimes you have scars and that just may be part of your individual journey. But, and, you know, there's two things that come to mind over there is one, don't compare your journey to anybody else's journey. Your journey is, is your journey and you're going to be on your path and there's no prescription on how you're going to get there. Um, it's just your journey. The other thing, which I think is, um, is very important, be fully honest and authentic with whoever is helping you on this journey. You know, keeping, keeping things hidden, keeping things secret, um, don't really help you heal. And somebody who genuinely cares about you and wants to help you heal won't be offended by something you share. I remember when I was beginning my journey, um, I was sure uh, I had a mentor and I was sure that when I'm going to share with him this one thing that I struggle with, he's going to basically say to me, he's never going to talk to me again. And, 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 and I took, I, I built up the courage and I said, I, I finally shared what I was going to, you know, what I, what I shared. And he says to me, okay, so what do you want to do about it? That was it. He didn't say you're crazy. You're insane. Where do you come up with thoughts like that? What's wrong with you? He just said, okay, so thank you for sharing that. What do you want to do about it? And I, and I think that that's the important thing because oftentimes, you know, we, we, we're, we're seeking help, but we're afraid to say something. And then later 
you know, I think I, I remember you told me once about somebody you were counseling that he, you helped him for six years. And then in the seventh year, he says, oh, by the way, this is what I've been doing during the six years. And it's like, well, you're not going to ever be able to get healed if you're still doing what you're not willing to say, because there's always going to be that piece that's not allowing you to heal. Um, and, and it's okay. It's okay to be in, to be in the process of struggle, but you've brought it out to the light and you're being authentic. Absolutely. And, and a third thing I would add there real quick is that it is so important to know that it's never going to feel good. Healing doesn't usually feel good because you have to go to places you really don't want to go. And so expect that. Be careful about phrases like, well, I, I think I know myself and that's not the way I feel. If you're asking someone for help, allow them to speak into your life and actually take some moments to look at it. You may come to the place where you go, ah, I don't really think that's me. But usually if you feel angry or you feel defensive when someone suggests something for you to look at, it's usually there you need to go. Because yeah. if you're defensive or angry about it, it's there's a defense around it that you don't want to look at. So don't expect it to always be easy. One thing I wanted to say is I, before I got into, uh, you know, before I began to address my struggles with same-sex attraction, I first went uh, through the uh, 12-step programs. And while I think there's a lot of good in the 12-step programs, there's one thing that bothers me so much, which I think fits in line with a lot of what we're talking about, is um, there's a talk that, you know, you, you are diseased. You have a sexual disease. You're, an, you're addicted, whether it's, whether it's sexual brokenness, whether it's alcohol, whatever, you're diseased. And people begin to feel like when you feel like you have a disease, there's not much you can do about it. Maybe you can maintain it with medication. Maybe you can maintain it with therapy, but you are always going to be the addict. And, and, and for me, I found that that concept was unhealthy and to, and to realize that no, you have a brokenness from your past. You can heal from it and you're going to continue growing. Of course, if you don't continue growing, you can fall back into whatever your past patterns were. But, it's, but as long as you're growing, you're not a diseased person. You're a person who has a past that has in, which will now inform their future. Um, and, 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 I, and I find that, you know, and again, I, I'm not knocking the 12 steps. If anything, I, I'm actually a very big supporter of the concepts of the 12 steps. But I think it's a, as you once told me, it's a stepping stone. It's not the, the destination. Um, I find that to, to be very important. <clears throat> um, the, the other thing I was gonna ask you is, you work with a, a lot of parents of children uh, who have same-sex attraction. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you guide a parent who says, hey, you know what, my child is, whether it's 15, whether they're 20, whatever age they may be. And um, my child, either we've suspected it for a while or they've told us that they're attracted to other men. Um, what, what, do you got, what do you advise them? How, how to both keep that relationship with their child and, and be authentic with themselves and they, what they believe? What, what do you guide them and how do you support that? How do you, what do you suggest they do? Well, I usually... You know, most of the time they're coming to me 
as their child is turning 15, 16, because now they're starting to realize because more of the child's sexuality is being exposed. They kind of see some things or the child has already said to them, I'm gay. And so I usually at that moment, we need to start talking about how much of this is your child willing to have you be a part of, because by the time someone's 15, it's very difficult for a parent to say, okay, I'm requiring that you go to counseling, or I'm going to require that you meet with David or with Lee, or, you know, I'm going to require these things because what you don't want to do is create the brokenness where they've grown up in, which is them feeling like you don't really care about their struggle. You just are going to require them to change. You have to at least let them guide that part of the ship of, okay, can we at least talk about it now? Can you help us understand the way you see it? And would you want to seek change? If they say, absolutely not, I was born this way, this is not something that I need you to be a part of, then even at 15, I think it's time for the parents to say, okay, well, we love you. We love you where you are. We understand this is the way you feel. It's not what we see about you, but can we at least keep this door open to keep talking? Would you be willing to meet with someone to offer you these two perspectives. Perhaps your teachers already told you that you're gay and this is the who you are. Would you be willing to meet with someone that might give you the other perspective? I think it's almost damaging when parents kick into overdrive and start, well, now that we know you need to get in to see this counselor and you need to go more to synagogue or to church or you need to go more to to so-and-so and you need to meet with a counselor. If they don't believe there's something wrong with them, you can actually cement into place this belief that my parents don't know me and they don't love me and they are, are actually trying to get me to be someone I'm not. So to press into that place is a difficult thing. You have to allow them at that point to at least be heard, which no offense to parents out there, but sometimes that's the wound that got us here is they didn't feel heard growing up. They were always told how to be. They were always, oh, no, you will do this. This is what we do in this family. I get it. You're grieving now. So then I talked to parents alone about, okay, how are you going to handle your grief? Because it's a legitimate grief for parents. It's a, I thought I did it right. And now I find that perhaps my worst fear has come true. Because there are parents who think, wow, I'm looking forward to, you know, my kids growing up and having grandkids and having family dinners. And we all get together with my boys and their female spouses. And so now what do I do? Well, you may have to grieve yourself. And so there's a separate place for parents to just say, this is not what I thought I was going to get. I'll, I'll, I'll dovetail on that a little bit and, and, um, and begin wrapping it up. Uh, you know, that in today's society, even in the Jewish community, and I'm sure this is in the Christian community as well, the 
the struggle with parents accepting that I love my child, but I don't agree has become very uh, prominent that so many of these parents say, I love my child. And in order not to upset my child, I'm going to choose to agree. And, and so now the child becomes the parent or the educator. And now the child, the parents are like, well, I must not understand the gay life. It's not in my philosophy, but if that works for you, I'm totally supportive of it. And I'm going to embrace that. And the, and, and I, and I think, and again, I haven't been challenged with having a child um, who struggles with this, but I have spoken to many people who have, and, and I, and I tell them that you have to, like what you just said is you have to love your child unconditionally. And at the same time, they can know that you disagree. I'm not going to kick you out of the house because you're attracted to other men, but I don't support this lifestyle, but I'm still going to love you. Yes. And unfortunately, the, the unfortunate piece to that, though, is parents are being confronted with what the gay community is teaching and gay allies are teaching, which is if your parents says they don't agree with you, then they don't really love you and you can't be a part of them. We'll be your family. Exactly. And so that is absolutely happening. And so. What I think parents are then faced with is if I don't say I absolutely agree that I may not know my child or they may refuse to allow me in their lives or they may refuse to be in my life. The unfortunate piece of the gay community is they want parents to understand who they are, but they don't understand that they're not giving the same freedoms to their parents to be able to say, I just don't agree with you. I love you still. And I can even agree to have you and your boyfriend come over for a family meal, but I don't have to ever agree that this is who you are. If you say that, some are okay and say, I get that mom and dad will never understand it, but there's this new push to say, if you don't agree with me, then I can't be a part of your life. And that's very scary for parents. And I think each parent is not, where I'm absolutely would never shame a parent to say, Hey, you can believe it in your heart. You may, you may never actually have to come right out and say to your child, I don't agree with you, but you can say things like, I, I can love you right where you are. And we don't really have to discuss anything else. But thank you, Lee. This was amazing. And, uh, you know, what I take from this is that there's always hope. There's always room for growth and, you know, as, as you always say, we'll keep talking. There's always, there's always space for, for more. Absolutely. So thank you, Lee. Thanks so much. You see me, but you don't really know me. I see right through me What you think I am Is what you want me to be Your hopes and dreams for me Attempt to change things Things that my God has for me But things You cannot see Oh, and it feels so Inside isn't who you want to see Because your hopes and dreams for me 